Hello everybody, welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. We are continuing our discussion on the Enlightenment today. We started last week with part one. We introduced the topic, what is it, the Enlightenment? Really, we learned that it's it's a time when reason started to be introduced into the world and people started to question a lot of things, really to put it simply. Today we're going to finish off talking about other key concepts within the Enlightenment, as well as um, some critique about the Enlightenment and some maybe holes in the Enlightenment where thinkers may have neglected certain groups. The sources of this episode are the same as last time. It's it's Bristow's article, Enlightenment, from Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, as well as Maine and Peter's History of Europe from Britannica. So, another thing that was found in the Enlightenment is a lot of talk about ethical theory and new developments in um, ideas for what is what is ethical. Many of the leading positions of contemporary ethics took shape within the Enlightenment. Prior to the Enlightenment, ethical reflection oriented itself around religious doctrines that concerned God and the afterlife mostly. So, what was right was anything that had to do with God and got you towards the afterlife. So the highest good of humanity and the grounding of moral duties are all conceived in religious terms before the enlightenment. And and a lot of them still are today, but everything really was centered around these religious doctrines in terms of ethics and morality. But during the enlightenment, this changes within the population of Western society as the processes of industrialization, urbanization, and dissemination of education advance during this time. Happiness in this life rather than union with God in the next is what became the highest end for increasing numbers of people. This is the secularization that we're talking about and that it really started in the Enlightenment and that's what's led us to such a secular Western world today. Also motivating this development of secular ethics were the violent religious wars that bloodied Europe in early in the early modern period. So, a lot of due to these wars that were uh, motivated on religious grounds, that kind of turned people away from the idea that everything that has to do with religion is good. Because if if this is creating all the wars in our society, then Maybe there, there must be a better way. There must be a, a better morality that we can find. The new ethics of the Enlightenment were motivated by the failure of these religious doctrines concerning God and the afterlife to establish a stable foundation. Recent times in the, in the early modern period were showing that religion resulted in a lot of unethical behavior and resulted in war. And this made individuals look for ethical theories that existed independently of religious doctrines. So, this is really how the environment shapes the thoughts of generations of thinkers. Because if you're in a period when religion is causing all of the war around you, then you are going to have a critical view on religion. And we're going to talk soon in the episode about how... um, Religion was kind of one of the things that Enlightenment thinkers weren't necessarily critical of directly, but they were critical of a lot of the features of religion. The general problem emerges, though, in the Enlightenment of how to conceive the highest good for human beings within a fully secular context with such a 
newfound transformed understanding of the natural world after being led by religious doctrines for so long. So, how is it that we talked in the last episode about, yes, you can critique the religious foundations of society all you want, but once you try to institute a new fully secular institution, is that going to necessarily work as well? Maybe it'll even work worse. And we'll talk later in the episode about how it did work worse in uh, in France w- with the reign of terror because the, although the Enlightenment thinkers motivated these revolutions, after the revolution uh, and they broke down all, all of the things that were in place, they didn't necessarily do too great of a job running the world in a fully secular way either. So, we'll talk near the end of the episode about how the issues arose in leading people with new fully secular ethics without God in the picture. So, with all of this talk about the Enlightenment seemingly going against religious ideas, you may get the impression that the Enlightenment was hostile to religion. And you wouldn't be alone in thinking this. Sometimes Enlightenment thinkers are taken to have been against religion in general. Uh, people think they, they condemn religion as an irrational delusion. So, many, many people have the idea that Enlightenment thinkers were directly going against religion. Though the Enlightenment is sometimes represented as this enemy of religion, it's more accurate though to see it as critically directed against various features that happen to be associated with religion, like superstition, enthusiasm, and fanaticism. So, it's not that they were directly going against all religion. It was just quite a few of the features of religion. A lot of these thinkers who started to question things and started to want to use reason um, and apply reason to just about everything, religion was just one of those things they applied this reasoning to. And then they wondered, hmm, is this... Is this superstition? Is this fanaticism? Um, is this logical to to be so superstitious and uh, so fanatic about your religion to even cause war and things like that? So the, it was just the target of it was just another target of of Enlightenment thinkers' critique. The Enlightenment is a landmark in the history of secularization, the process whereby religious observance became an optional rather than a necessary dimension of social life, and that's. You see where we are today, where religion is now an optional dimension of life, whereas back then it was more or less you had to uh, behave in certain ways. You look at the Crusades, where um, it is um, religion is imposed upon upon you. So, but the Enlightenment, this is when it started to change, and religion became um, secondary to living your own life. And if you want to add religion into that, then you can in in the free world. We said last week that you can't talk about the Enlightenment without talking about John Locke. And John Locke, his influence mostly comes from his idea of the mind as a blank slate. John Locke conceived of the human mind as being a tabula rasa, so a blank slate on which experience was was solely responsible for creating character. So, he had the idea that everyone's mind is shapeless or formless at birth and it's purely due to experience that your mind develops. Supposed innate qualities such as goodness or original sin had no reality to Locke, whereas before Locke, people people figured that you have this... uh, 
you have goodness inside of you, but you also uh, are sinful by nature and things like this. And your nature has so much of an impact on on the way that your life will play out. Locke did away with all of these things and Locke took aim at the theories of innate ideas in which people were thought to be born with mathematical ideals, eternal truths, and a notion of God. Um, Locke opposed dogmatic justifications such as the authority of the church and the divine right of kings, which had always been touted as self-evident truths. So nowadays you hear the self-evident truths are that all men are created equal. But back in the day, the self-evident truth was that kings had a divine right. The divine right of kings asserted that kings derived their authority from God and could not therefore be held accountable for their actions by any earthly authority. They had a direct streamline to God and, and God's words were coming uh, to them and, and they were sharing God's words and they were essentially um, exhibiting God's actions uh, because they had this, this direct connection with God. They had this divine right. So, they couldn't be held accountable for their actions by anyone on earth because their, everything that comes from them uh, is coming from God originally, is, is the self-evident truth that existed back in the day. Locke opposed this. Um, and look, this is really the key feature of the Enlightenment. It's questioning the status quo, even though these institutions existed seemingly forever before these Enlightenment thinkers, they started to finally question what what is society really built on and what are we really following in society? Is there really a divine right of kings? What creates character? Is it a natural, is it your nature or is it, or is there more of an impact of the environment on creating character? Locke argued that social arrangements should be reasoned out from scratch and agreed upon by mutual consent based on knowledge that any person could acquire. Locke's notion of a blank slate also undermined a hereditary royalty and the aristocracy whose members could claim no innate wisdom or merit since their minds had started out as blank as everyone else's. So Locke is really, this is revolutionary thinking from Locke in this time because now, if everyone's on, on par at birth, then maybe there shouldn't be a royalty, a hereditary royalty that um, you're born and all of a sudden you're a prince and then you end up being a king. But Locke is saying that, no, that just because you're born to that person who was a king before you doesn't mean you have some kind of advantage or, or you're superior to anybody else. Locke's conception of the mind as a blank slate also spoke out against slavery implicitly because slaves now could no longer be thought of as innately inferior or subservient. Finally, since human irrationality was the consequence of false ideas instilled by faulty schooling, should not ed education be a prime concern of rulers now? So look at all the ideas that Locke's philosophy engendered because he's starting to put a focus on the environment and shaping behavior rather than just um, your behavior being handed down by God and your life is going to play out in some predetermined way. He got rid of this determinism and, and look at the implications for schooling. Let's improve education because everyone's mind is blank. And if we can just give everyone good education, then everyone is going to, um, it's going to lead to salutary effects for everybody. Now, 
with advancing science and then since even even the behaviorists in the mid 20th century in psychology still were thinking the mind was a blank slate and every single thing was imparted by experience science has proved that wrong uh re- recently so no the mind is not a blank slate but by considering it in this light Locke was able to open the minds of so many of the importance of environmental factors in shaping development and in considering these factors in the way society operates. So, for instance, if we're all on the same level at birth, then no one should be seen as being more powerful than anybody else just because. Just because you're born into uh, a certain family. And you see these days, there still is the <laughs> the monarchy and the queen and things like this in England, but it's phasing out. It's It doesn't exist as... It was crucial to society back back in those days in Locke's day. Now it's it's more of just a uh, it's like a, a, a token royalty. It's it, yes, they still have power, but it's not the it's not nearly at the same level as it was in Locke's day. So this is what Locke started to change. He started to put everyone on the same footing with his blank slate theory. This notion of humans as neither good nor bad also led to radical political theories uh, in this day where the state had once been viewed as an earthly approximation of a higher order now it came to be seen as mutually a mutually beneficial agreement among humans aimed at protecting the natural rights and self-interests of each other so before it used to be the state was like it it was the higher order and it just had like absolute power over everybody but with locke's ideas the political theories that spawned from locke's ideas it became known that no now it's about benefiting humans and benefiting each other and let's let's uh think about the self-interests of each other in in the policies we make so this is the influence of Locke. he changed the way people think with the way he thought and that's uh, he's one of the most influential philosophers ever because of it now we've talked quite sufficiently about all of the Ideas in the Enlightenment, mostly just about applying reason to a lot, a lot more things. But what are the holes in the Enlightenment? There is critique, and they weren't the thinkers weren't perfect, and the people who were thinking these ideas were not perfect during the Enlightenment. So look at racism and sexism. They, it, it is striking how unenlightened you could say many of the Enlightenment thinkers are concerning issues of race and gender, seeing as. Locke and, and, and Hobbes and Hume and all of these and Descartes and all of these Enlightenment thinkers, how insightful they were. It's troubling that no, none of them really even had ideas about uh, equality of, of the races and the genders. So, for all the public concern with the allegedly universal rights of man in the Enlightenment, the rights of women and non-white people are generally overlooked in this period. There's almost nothing to do with this. When Enlightenment thinkers do turn their attention to the social standing of women or of non-white people, they tend to spout prejudice. Moreover, while the philosophies of the Enlightenment generally aspire to universal truth, unattached to any particular time, place, or culture, Enlightenment writings are rife with ethno and Eurocentrism. So, the question arises of, although these guys were trying to apply reason and, and trying to 
determine these universal laws. And Newton actually was successful in, in determining that. And that was the spirit of the enlightenment. And, and Newton had an influence on that of determining these universal truths that are applicable to everyone, like the gravitational laws. But are the truths that these enlightenment thinkers really universal or are they only applicable to the European white man who is better off than the rest? Maybe these rational ideas that they were developing are only rational to some. And that's what the critique is. And frankly, that that is the issue. They're not universal, some of these ideas that they had because they didn't have any concerns with uh, race and gender issues in there. It shows how hard it is to think outside of established customs, no matter how influential the thinker. And I think this this brings up an important issue. Often we we spurn the behavior of previous generations and we're quick to disparage their ideas just because they they don't fit in perfectly with today's higher moral standards. And often we do have higher moral standards in a lot of ways than we did back then. But just because somebody um, or a group of thinkers, they they neglected race and gender in their ideas. Should we do away with, with all the ideas of the Enlightenment? No, that's not what it means. Enlightenment thinkers were not perfect individuals, nor did they have perfect ideas. And it, this shows more than anything how difficult it is to break out of the the ideas of society in your time. And, and even among the most brilliant thinkers ever, they, they couldn't, they just couldn't formulate these ideas. It, we're not, it, we shouldn't fault them. Though they did fail to see potential for progress in certain areas, the scope of their ideas was so, so widespread that I don't think we should throw out the baby with the bathwater here. And I think the, hopefully the ideas that, um, We've learned it in these episodes show us that, yeah, maybe some of their ideas were quite substantial. And just because, yes, they, they were racist in some ways for our standards and they were sexist, but the ideas were valuable. And, and, and this is why we are here today with, with such a secular world that so many people love so much. We wouldn't be here without the Enlightenment. Some other critique about the Enlightenment is from Adorno and Horkheimer, they interpret Nazi death camps as the result of the dialect of the Enlightenment. They believe that these death camps were the result of this attitude of supremacy of instrumental reason that was asserted in the Enlightenment. So they think that this attitude of man's ability and man's power to be self-sufficient and fully rational could have contributed to the Nazi ideology of being rationally superior to others. And this hubris that well, that was exhibited and it, mostly the, they're criticizing the attitude of the enlightenment and this perhaps gave ideas uh, of even the worst Nazi death camps. I myself, I don't fully understand this critique. I haven't gone in depth into this specific critique, but th just to know there is, there is some critique of the attitude that was displayed in the enlightenment. Some other critique is that in the Enlightenment's ambition to reorder knowledge for the benefit of mankind, it debased culture of the masses under this new capitalism. So the idea here is that maybe people were better off with a stable base, with a fully connected church and state and things like that, even though it was not perfect and perhaps not the most rational, it was stable. And 
once you overthrow this stability, even though you you can critique it all you want and know it's not the best, but when you overthrow this this stable societal uh, the way society operates, then could it could it lead to could it break down society? And the the way the Enlightenment ended actually supports this idea. The end of the Enlightenment was really in the French Revolution of 1789. It was the culmination of the Enlightenment vision of throwing out the old authorities and remaking society along rational lines. But it just derived into bloody terror, actually. The reign of terror that followed the French Enlightenment severely tested the belief that a completely egalitarian society could govern itself. So, even even with all this equality, and it sounds great on paper maybe, but if everyone's equal, who's going to rule? That's where those were a lot of the issues. They were so simple, but these were a lot of the issues with the reign of terror. Maybe it is best to give the divine authority to uh, to the kings and and just let let them pass down, and then there's a new king due, just simply due to heredity. So it, it, maybe it just makes it simpler because when everyone's on equal footing now, everyone's a blank slate. Everyone's on equal footing. Who's gonna rule now? There's still gonna be conflict there. Um, in this time, also, at the end of the Enlightenment, writers of the thinkers became increase, increasingly rarefied and esoteric. So, their writings, they were writing things that weren't as applicable uh, to ordinary people or as easily understood by ordinary people. And this is how the Enlightenment ended. So, it wasn't the result, the immediate results of the Enlightenment certainly were far from perfect with the reign of terror and with the French Revolution and overthrowing the powers that were. But the ideas still persist to their, this day and they still make their mark today. The Enlightenment, it really challenged society to think harder with the potential of actually discovering truth for themselves. Look at Newton with, with the with his theories that he developed on gravity and, and you can actually find truth um, if you op open up your mind and think rationally, rather than everything just being shrouded in mystery. Um, this is the started science. We talked about Francis Bacon last episode in part one about how science started and how to reason scientifically. The Enlightenment really paved the way for our society to write, to speak, to worship freely, to experience equality under the law, and to receive more humane treatments under this law. And most of all, to live freely. Thank you for listening to this episode, everybody. We're growing our community through word of mouth. So if you like this episode, please share it with one or two people who are interested in the enlightenment. That concludes our enlightenment series, our first two-parter on here. Uh, I enjoyed it. I found the enlightenment very interesting. Another philosophy thing again, some, some deeper things. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, you can also go ahead, if you like this episode, you can do the like, the rate, the comment, subscribe, the follow. All these things just help us get discovered more easily. But whatever you guys do to support listening and watching is always plenty, as I say every time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast, everybody. We will be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody. <laughs>